What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. In this video I'll be answering 16 valuable subscriber questions which cover a bunch of fascinating investing and finance topics, more than I normally do because I haven't done one of these in a while and you guys have been patiently waiting. If you'd like me to potentially answer a question of yours in a future Millionaire Dividend Investing Questions and Answers video, then follow me on Instagram at GenX Dividend Investor and DM me your questions. If you do send me a question, then please tell me if you don't want your full name shared. Finally, if you love dividends but hate hangnails, then please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Okay, the first of 16 questions comes from Jimmy who said, I have a question about dividends. If I want $1,500 a month, how much money do I invest at 10% to get that? Hey Jimmy, first of all I'd say 10% is super high, unless you're talking about income covered call ETFs like QYLD or something. I did a video called How Much Invested to Make $1,000 in Dividends Every Month, and in that I included a spreadsheet that anyone can make a copy of and then put your own values in to answer questions like yours. So let's put in your monthly desired income of $1,500, and then put in the QYLD ticker and its current annual dividend estimate which is approximately $2.36. The spreadsheet updates the rest such as the current share price, its current yield, how many shares you would need to buy to make your desired monthly income, and how much that would cost you in today's prices. A simple enhancement you could make to my spreadsheet would be to also pull the current dividend amount from a website like Finviz, and you can watch my spreadsheet tutorial video if you want to learn how to do that. Anyways, what the spreadsheet tells us is that you need to invest around 175 dollars to be making $1,500 a month from QYLD. Now I want to put all my money into a single ticker of course. There are a ton of videos on YouTube about QYLD that talk about its pros and cons, so I'd watch those to get a sense of things. My TLDR in it is if you need income now, then something like QYLD is worth evaluating, and make sure you understand things like its historical growth patterns, what return on capital is, etc. But if you're young and trying to grow your net worth, then QYLD probably doesn't make as much sense to invest in. I'd suggest a more reasonable high yielding portfolio in today's market is in the 4-5% range, along with a dividend CAGR that beats inflation. Research how you can build something like that. Yes, you can go higher, but I'd recommend caution if you find yourself only going after high yield stocks. Okay, let's move on. The next question comes from Kai who asks, Thoughts on Vici? So Vici Properties is a real estate investment trust specializing in casino properties that was formed in 2017 as a spinoff from Caesars Entertainment Corporation as part of its subsidiary's bankruptcy plan. It owns dozens of casinos, hotels, and racetracks as well as multiple golf courses throughout the United States. A ton of its assets are in Las Vegas though. In March of 2021, Vici agreed to purchase the real estate of the Venetian on the Las Vegas Strip for $4 billion. In August of 2021, Vici agreed to acquire MGM growth properties for $17.2 billion, making it the largest landowner on the Strip with over 660 acres. That deal is expected to close in 2022, and beyond diversifying its holdings, it could also lead it to being included as part of the S&P 500, which would be a nice potential growth catalyst for them. It's got a great almost 5% yield, an AFFO payout ratio of around 75%, and looks very inexpensive to me. Its FFO trend looks decent, though they don't always beat, but gambling is increasingly popular, especially among millennials and especially during tough times. They've made it through the pandemic doing quite well. My favorite football team, the Raiders, moved to Vegas in 2017, which itself has caused gaming and hotel revenue to increase. Fiji's tenants have long leases with increasing rent contractually built in, all of which helps hedge them against inflation. Credit rating agencies currently rate VC's debt below investment grade, partially because their tenants aren't from enough different industries. A general risk to them is if the government increases regulation on gambling, though I don't think that will happen. 
Another potential risk is if online gambling becomes broadly legalized and accessible, then that could negatively impact them to some degree, though they could also capitalize on it. They have a good mode given their location and the complexities of being a newcomer in Vegas. Their dividend has grown over 25% since 2018, so it's got a nice dividend CAGR in its short history. That being said, I usually prefer to invest in companies with longer histories, but getting in early can often mean getting better long-term returns than waiting until it's more proven. Okay, let's move on. My third of 16 questions comes from Alex who asks me, Do you believe investing in dividends as a beginner makes sense, or should I focus more on growth? I'm 28 and have a Roth 401k with my employer. I recently opened up my own account with Robinhood and want to explore investing on my own, just don't know what path to take. Any tips would help, thanks. Hey Alex, congrats for starting to invest on your own and you're lucky you have a Roth 401k at work. First off, pay any high interest rate debt you might have like credit cards, then create an emergency fund that makes sense for you, and then invest the rest, all the while living frugally. If you really do what I just said then you'll do amazingly well as the decades go on. Now in terms of should you invest in dividend companies or focus more on growth, I'd say focus on investing in quality growing companies when they're on sale. If those companies happen to pay dividends, like Microsoft or Apple, then great. If they don't, like Google or Amazon, then also great. I would avoid income ETFs that have high yields but no growth given your goal is probably to increase your net worth over the decades, and those income covered call ETFs are more suited for people who need that income to live on right now. And as you learn more, you may come to determine that you want an income fund paying your cash flow now, that's okay too. You might decide you want some classic dividend companies in your Roth because you find it motivating to get some dividends and that's okay too. The key is to consistently invest what you can afford to lose and don't quit because you invested for a year and your portfolio is still down from where you started and don't quit because the market crashes or whatever. Obviously what happens in the past is no guarantee that a company will perform similarly in the future. Okay, let's move on. My fourth of 16 questions comes from Christopher who said, I love your content and I've learned a lot from your channel. Here's my question. I'm 21 and I've been investing in VTI for three years and I'd like to get in some single stocks. I'm just looking for about five stocks. Can you recommend a few stocks that I should consider? I'm investing for the long term. Congrats for starting to invest at 18 years old, Christopher. That's freaking awesome. I myself didn't start investing until I was around 21, so you're way ahead of where I was when I started. I'll honestly be surprised if you aren't a multimillionaire when you retire. Also, good job on going with VTI, as low-cost, diversified market ETFs are hard to beat and you can just keep dollar-cost averaging into it and not obsess about prices so much. In terms of individual stocks I'd recommend, well, I'm not a financial advisor, but I'm happy to tell you some of my favorites that I'm long in, but realize that I'm obviously biased by what I say. Your goal should be to invest when they're reasonably priced or cheap, assuming you want to maximize your returns. So my personal favorites, price aside, include Microsoft, Apple, McDonald's, J&J, Pepsi, Realty Income, Google, Amazon, Atlassian, and Facebook, aka Meta. I also love my Tesla, because it's hard not to like something that you're up over a thousand percent in, but it's also one I consider my most overpriced right now. So hopefully that answered your question. Let's move on. My fifth of 16 questions comes from Dapper Dividends with Russ Knopf, who asked me, what are your thoughts on WBA going forward long-term without Alliance Healthcare? Well, WBA looks very cheap to me right now. Walgreens Boots Alliance is a dividend aristocrat that operates the chain of drugstores. Its margins have been trending down primarily due to reimbursement pressures, but management has been implementing changes that may yield fruit, including closing less profitable stores and doing various other cost-optimizing programs. They also have a new CEO as of March named Roz Brewer, who is only one of two female African-American CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, and she has an impressive background, being the former president and chief operating officer of Starbucks, the ex-CEO of Sam's Club, 
and held various leadership positions at Walmart and Kimberly-Clark. So all that's promising and I think she'll need some time to see if her various changes yield the outcomes Wall Street wants. WBA pays a great dividend but it's been struggling. They are currently evaluating buying Evalent Health, which makes software to help providers manage their care programs. In September, WBA announced a billion dollar investment in Shields Health Solutions, a pharma company which should help them deliver pharmacy and healthcare services to their local communities. WBA has a partnership with Village MD to open hundreds of physician staff clinics and Walgreens stores, which should help drive more foot traffic and thus enable more demand for higher margin pharmacy products. They also have some lawsuit issues you can dig into. My main concern with WBA is Amazon, since they've opened an online pharmacy that delivers immediately. I've been using it myself and it's amazing. Cheaper meds than my insurance and faster delivery. That's hard to beat. Plus, if Amazon starts building brick and mortar pharmacies, as has been rumored, it will further hurt companies like WBA. But I currently still go to Walgreens for some stuff, and if they had same day doctor services then that would make them even more compelling. In June, Walgreens sold Alliance Healthcare to Amerisource Burgeon for over $6 billion. The goal of that was to enable Walgreens to focus more on its retail pharmacy businesses, as well as reduce debt. So I'm liking what their new CEO is doing, and you'll need to ask yourself if you think they are finally turning things around. The hardest time to invest is when things are out of favor, like WBA kinda is, or AT&T is. But those also are often the best times to invest if you believe in their futures and you can stomach the ride. Okay, let's move on. My sixth of 16 questions comes from Ellie who said, Hello sir, I thought this would be easier to communicate. First off, great videos on YouTube. I'm 38 and have $850,000 in cash and wondering how you would invest it. Would you do VTI or would you go with dividends and what would you put it in? Howdy Ellie, thanks for your kind words about my videos. I wish I was a sir as being knighted would be cool, but no need to be formal. Congrats on having that amount of cash, that's awesome. So I'm not a financial advisor and I wouldn't listen to random people over the internet and what would make sense for me to do with the money is very different from what would make sense for you. Anyways, beyond the obvious thing of paying down high interest rate debt and having an emergency fund, I'd invest the rest. If you're a more conservative person, then you could decide to invest like 30k a month to dollar cost average into the markets over the next 2-3 years. That way if we have a massive crash, like more and more are predicting, you might get lucky and have a nice cash pile to invest. You could also decide to invest up to half your cash or something, slowly over time, then invest the rest after a material correction happens, or do something a hybrid like that. Going with VTI is a good bet overall. In terms of what else you can invest in, well if you needed cash now you could look at collared covered call ETFs like Nusi to give you some downside protection or maybe Jappy for something in between. There are also some dividend ETFs that people like including Noble and SCHD and VYM and such. Or if you had a longer term time frame and you wanted to build a diverse portfolio of dividend stocks then watch my videos to see what I hold and what I invest in and when. Though if you want to invest in single stocks then you should learn how to calculate intrinsic values and then invest when stocks are cheap. Jimmy over at learn to invest has some good videos and templates on how to calculate intrinsic values. Investing in single stocks is obviously going to be riskier and harder than going with inexpensive broad market ETFs. I offer a Patreon King service where I do 30 minute private chats to talk about whatever people want. I'm about at my capacity for the number of kings I can support so no promises will off this in the future. But I'm sure you can do well without ever talking to me and always do what makes sense for you and your goals and finances and such. Okay, let's continue. My 7th of 16 questions comes from Evan who said, Hey Gen X, love your channel. I had a quick question for you. I'm self-employed and can't get matched on my 401k, so I was wondering how I should go about tax-sheltered accounts. I have a Roth IRA and max it out, but don't want to limit my investing to 6k a year, as I'd like to put more into the market. Do you have any advice on this? Thanks. 
Hey Evan, thanks for the compliment, I really appreciate it. So I'd really need to know more about your financial situation to give a more useful answer. You should research SEP IRAs for yourself to see if you qualify and to learn the pros and cons of using them versus Roths versus both. I'd also recommend investing in taxable accounts. I personally like investing in both as each has different pros and cons depending on your current goals and needs as well as your future goals and needs. Okay, let's move on. The eighth question comes from Fail Nexus, who said, I'm in a conflict where due to the huge amount of inflation, it's very beneficial to have a conventional home loan, but at the same time, I want to have some cash to buy on red days. What would you do in this situation? Prioritize a house, note it would be my first one, or just keep investing in once the markets crash, invest 90% of my cash in it. Howdy, Fatal. I'd need to know more about you, your job, your family, your risks, etc. to give a more useful perspective. Generally speaking, some of my best investments have been buying houses at good prices, living in them, and then selling them for big profits. Even smarter can be renting them instead of selling, but rentals are kind of annoying for me, even though I recommend everyone give them a shot. You've got to live somewhere, which usually means paying rent or a mortgage, and I've preferred to keep building equity in my house rather than paying it to someone else. Rates are incredibly low, so locking in a 30-year fixed is ideal. I got mine earlier this year and am at 2.625%, which is hard to beat. However, it's also hard to find a good house on sale these days, so like anything, if you look hard you'll find a great deal. They say you make your money in real estate on the buy, which basically means find a good deal. Then once you have your house, I'd look to invest the rest of your money into the markets while keeping a healthier emergency fund now that you have a new mortgage liability to cover. Okay, let's move on. My ninth of 16 questions comes from GiggityGoo52 who said, If the market does end up crashing at some point in the foreseeable future, as many have alluded to, do you think the financial sector, particularly banks, will weather it out just fine compared to 2008 to maintain their dividends? I actually have that sector as my second highest allocation after tech because of their returns and believe they're pretty undervalued in lieu of the sentiment around them, especially with their lower payout ratios, larger cash reserves, and hurdles like the stress test by the government. JPM is my favorite in the sector and also have Bank of America. The yield and huge kegger are way too tempting to overlook. Howdy giggity. I can't guarantee much, but I'll guarantee the market will crash. Now, do I think banks will weather it better than 2008? Probably, but it depends. If banks end up being the main source for why we crash, then no, probably many won't maintain their dividend. But if it's something else, banks might do fine. You should take a look at the Canadian banks too, as their dividends are even more sacrosanct. I personally invest in JPM and also think Goldman Sachs is a great long-term investment. I think we'll see more trends of brick-and-mortar banks becoming less compelling as time goes on, especially with crypto taking more action. But banking that helps with wealth management and mergers and acquisitions and such will probably keep on growing. Okay, moving on. My tenth question comes from Jake who asked, I'd love to hear more about what you're doing to mitigate your tax burden in your early retirement. Could you touch on a drawdown strategy as it pertains to a dividend-focused portfolio? Hey Jake. Take a look at a video I did recently called What I Learned Living on Dividends for One Year, where I kind of answer that. You asked your question before I did that video, so you might have seen it already. Anyways, taxes are your number one expense in life, more so than kids or college debt or whatever, so it's always smart to learn how you can minimize them where legally possible. The TLDR is that the dividends for my taxable portfolio are covering all my expenses right now, so I'm not needing to use my retirement accounts. I get surplus income from my social media business and I put that money into growth stocks and crypto. For now, I'm just letting my dividends accrue as cash in my retirement accounts as I gauge how things pan out in this beginning part of my retirement, though at some point I'll invest it or might take distributions if my wife wants to spend more cash on things. 
I've been surprised at how our overall expenses have decreased so much in retirement, as well as how healthcare has been so much cheaper on the exchanges versus my old work COPRA plans. A key portfolio goal of mine has been to retire and not sell any principal and just live on the dividends, and so far it's worked out better than I had hoped. Every day I think about how incredible it is that I get to own amazing companies that are filled with brilliant, hardworking people that are literally sending me some of their profits. Being an owner is awesome. I'm still blown away that my dividends are paying for my mortgage and my health insurance and such. Okay, let's move on to my next question. This one comes from Jay who asked, Is Unilever a buy right now? Hey Jay, I like Unilever and it owns many amazing brands like Dove and Ben & Jerry's and Lipton's and a ton of others. It has one of the highest yields of its peers when you compare it to Hormel or Campbell's Soup or Kellogg's. Crafts is a bit higher. And Unilever is much higher than CL or PG or KMB or whatever. Keep in mind that Unilever isn't an American company, so when you look at their dividend history, you need to understand that the dividend is subject to currency fluctuations. That means when the dollar goes up, your dividend income can drop, even if the company is hiking its dividend. So be careful when you look at Seeking Alpha's 10-year dividend history for Unilever, as you might think, yikes, they're cutting it all the time, when in reality they've been increasing their dividend in their native currency. If you go to Unilever's site and look for their dividends on their investor relations portion, you'll see that they have been increasing it year over year. So is Unilever a buy right now? Well, in my calculation, they're reasonably priced, but not cheap. If you could get them for under 43 bucks, I'd be pretty excited, but even at today's prices, I personally would be fine investing some into them. That's just me though, and I'm not a professional, so do your own research. Okay, moving on. The next question comes from Jeff who asked, Hi, I follow and respect your program. Could you please address what or how our person on Social Security should plan investments now to avoid what the media is touting that Social Security benefits will be cut in 2033? Thanks, Jeff. So this is the thing about Social Security, and you probably know this. As people in the USA work, some of their payroll taxes fund Social Security, so even if it's empty like it's predicted it will become in 15 or so years, that doesn't mean they'll stop paying out. It merely means they'll pay out based on what they take in, which just also means that your payments will be reduced, but they won't be zero. I'm not amongst the doomsayers that predict Social Security soon won't exist anymore, because I think that's politically almost impossible to make happen. So your payouts might be 30% smaller than you hoped for, or whatever, but something will still be there, and I'll take a bet on that one. Regardless, it's still smart to live frugally and invest. Pay off any high interest debt like credit cards, build an emergency fund, and then invest in strong dividend companies to have yet another income stream beyond Social Security. Additionally, I'd recommend looking into starting a side hustle, something over the internet. Take whatever hobby you love and then start a YouTube channel, a blog, whatever. Don't worry about how it'll make money, just pick something you love and start talking or writing or videoing it or whatever. Okay, let's move on. The lucky 13th question comes from Nick who said, Hey Gen X, love the videos. Quick question, if you came into a large sum of money, for example 200,000 pounds, knowing you'll be holding it for decades, should you invest in one lump sum or $10,000 every week or month or what? Thanks, Nick. So if it was me, I'd invest at lump sum, as history has shown us that statistically lump sum investing, on average, beats dollar cost averaging most of the time. However, that doesn't mean that will continue to be true going forward, nor does it mean that lump sum has always beaten dollar cost averaging. Also, we are at historic market highs right now where everyone and their brother is saying a crash is imminent, so a more conservative place to just dollar cost average over time. What I would do is different from what you should do. I personally would lump some invest into stocks that were on sale, or at least reasonably priced, but I have a higher risk tolerance for market crashes as I've lived through multiple, and I know that even though the overall market is hot, I can always find deals. I would recommend that most other people just slowly dollar cost average in, as that's easier to deal with. Okay, moving on. The 14th of 16 questions comes from Tyler who asked, If you could time machine to your 20s but it was today's market, would you structure your account with the same stocks but with the drip turned on? 
Hey Tyler, so if I were in my 20s I would not have all the same stocks. Like I probably wouldn't hold telecom or utilities and instead would have a higher weighting with stocks where I anticipated more growth. I also doubt I'd own SIN stocks or oil stocks. But I'd still own Apple and Microsoft and Google and Tesla and Meta and such. I'd also have more smaller market cap stocks like Atlassian and Unity and such. Okay, let's move on. The next to last question comes from Squirrel who asked, what do you think about Wendy's ticker WEN? So right off the bat, it looks like they did a dividend cut or something a few years ago, so that turns me off a bit. Their overall yield looks weak, but then again, so do their peers. Their EPS has been trending nicely, but long-term revenue trends don't look awesome, though their margins are starting to improve. They did have a good quarter recently though, so that's helpful. Debt has been rising, though it's settled down in the last few years. I think in the short term they'll be faced with pandemic-induced issues, like having a hard time to find people to work in their restaurants, combined with fast food being very competitive. Wendy's hasn't fared quite as nicely as some of their peers. But they're changing things to try to improve, like adding a breakfast menu, by embracing digital more, as well as are incentivizing franchising more. They're also looking to open more restaurants in the US and Canada in the next few years, all of which should help their growth profile. They also are opening hundreds of ghost kitchens across the US, UK, and Canada by 2025 through a partnership with a startup called Reef Technology. Ghost kitchens fulfill delivery orders placed through apps like DoorDash, and they help restaurants cut down on costs and increase sales. That all being said, it's in a beaten down state and it's reasonably priced, though not very inexpensive. But I see a reasonable risk of more downside and not enough upside for me to get interested enough to invest, thus it doesn't excite me. That doesn't mean it's not great for you, it just doesn't float my boat. I do like their Frosties though. I remember dipping my fries into them as a kid. This final question comes from someone named Ricky, who had an email exchange with me I thought it would be best not to share, though the TLDR was that he's going through a very tough time and he's lost confidence in himself and his investments. Ricky has only been investing a year and all of his positions in his portfolio are down while the market has trended up and he recently realized that maybe he needed to go in a different direction when he found out about dividend investing. So first of all I want to say that it's great that you didn't give up on investing and that you had the wherewithal to keep learning even though you felt bad and congrats on finding out about dividend investing. You unfortunately got lured in by the potential for a quick return and you tried some mean stocks and you got burned. The good news is that you're young and you have your entire life ahead of you. Making a few bad investments happens to everyone, so what you're experiencing is normal. All my best learnings in life came from my mistakes and what seemed like failures. And I feel you when you say losing your money makes you feel physically ill, because when I lost the majority of my net worth during the dot-com crash, I also felt like crap. I understand why you feel too scared to invest anymore. So take it slow until you're ready. The best things in life are on the other side of fear. Reorient your investing into quality companies. Maybe consider investing in inexpensive broad market ETFs like VTI or VU, and then keep investing for decades. Don't worry about what happens this week or month or quarter, and instead have a long-term mindset for investing. Think decades, not less. Look, you're better than you think you are, and you can do better than you think you can. I promise you that. Accept that the markets will crash, and know that they will eventually come back after a crash, though that could take a decade or more. You don't win by hoarding cash, you win by investing in quality assets that grow but make sure to have some cash on the side. Besides, without a storm, you can't have a rainbow. So you're in a bit of a storm right now. I promise it will pass and the rainbow will show up with the sun. Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed all those questions and hopefully it helps someone out there as they build their portfolio. Speaking of portfolios, M1 Brokerage has a promotion running for a free $50 cash bonus for new users until 2022, and then I'm guessing they'll lower it to some other amount. The way it works is you click on my M1 referral link in the description of this video and then either open a brokerage account and fund it with $100 or open a retirement account and fund it with $500.
Then you need to keep your money inside the new account for 30 days from the date of deposit to get the free referral cash. Make sure to check the details before you sign up to see what they're offering when you watch this video. Okay, now I'd like to shout out a new Patreon aristocrat who just signed up since my last video. So thank you, Jacob Hunter. Aristocrats gain access to my dividend spreadsheet product that I use in many of my videos, and they gain access to multiple private channels on my free dividend Discord chat server, where I let my upper tier Patreons watch my videos before I release them to the public, as well as let them vote on which thumbnails I use for my videos. And of course they get more direct access to me. If you made it this far in the video, then give yourself a gold star and please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. And if you think my videos could help any of your friends or relatives, then please share it with them. Also, if you'd like me to potentially answer a question of yours in a future Millionaire Dividend Investing Questions and Answers video, then follow me on Instagram at GenXDividendInvestor and DM me your questions. Finally, I highly recommend that you join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has thousands of dividend investors on it and is growing all the time. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.